0: To the Psalm seven the Psalm sixty-seven. Uh, the Psalm sixty-seven, O God, be merciful to us and bless us in thy grace, and do thou cause to shine on us the brightness of thy face. The Psalm 67 uh, founded the section of Psalms at the back of the hymnal, and we'll stand as we worship the Lord. You may be seated. We're returning in the Word of God this morning to Titus chapter 1, the first chapter of the book of Titus. And here we have words that are very similar to where we will be considering today in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But Titus chapter 1, commencing to read at verse 5. The Word of God says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Many any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Amen. And may the Lord bless uh, the reading of His precious Word uh, this morning. Let us unite together in prayer, and let us come together seeking the Lord and asking for His help, His blessing uh, to be upon us today. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we give thee thanks that we can gather together as thy people afresh. We thank thee we can sing thy praises. We rejoice that thou art the merciful God. And we thank thee for thy mercy. And we thank thee, O God, for thy grace upon us. And we thank thee that while we were yet in sin, held in that great snare with those shackles upon us, that thou didst show us love, and mercy and grace, and deliver us from our sins. We rejoice today for that standing we have in Christ. We thank Thee that the Lord Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And we thank Thee today, O God, for Thy church here, for those who are not merely in attendance physically at this congregation, but those here who are part of the church invisible, redeemed, conceived by the precious blood of the Lamb. And Father, as we gather together today as Thy church, we pray that we would bring glory to Thy name, that in all that we do, in our singing and in our prayers and in our reading and consideration of Thy truth, that, O God, that Thou would teach us, bless us, and that we would glorify Thee and bring honor to Thee. Father, we pray we would be a witness to Thee, that we would set forth uh, the great truths of the gospel. We rejoice in our Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we look to Thee today that Thou would give us grace and give us courage to live for Thee in our lives. Give us that desire to not fall into sin, that we would forsake sin. Forgive us for our sins. O Lord, show us our sins daily. Uh, that we would be convicted, that by Thy grace we would flee from sin in repentance and we would live lives that testify of Thy goodness and of Thy grace toward us. Father, we look to Thee that Thou would bless this service as we come to the preaching of Thy words. Speak to our hearts, we pray, as we consider this a subject that comes before us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 may not uh, just be a message uh, for uh, the men of this congregation or for some men, but Father, may it be a message for all of us that as part of Thy church uh, that we would be concerned about this matter. We would pray for these things, and we would seek uh, to live for Thee as well as we consider uh, the great application of what we have in First Timothy 3, to live godly, and righteous lives uh, to the glory of our God. And our Father, we do remember our congregation here. We think of the needs that we have. We do remember, Father, our brother Vern. Uh, we thank Thee that he is home from hospital, and we pray for Thy hand to continue to be upon him. We do remember the family circle, the needs there. Uh, bless and move, we pray. Uh, we remember, Father, uh, Clayton Snow and our sister Debbie, and others as well who need thy help and thy touch. Lord, uh, be gracious to us all and meet our needs uh, that we would know uh, thy hand upon us. We remember the witness of this congregation. Uh, we think especially of the uh, radio ministry and thy word that went forth already today. Bless it, we ask, glorify thy name uh, through the preaching of thy word. And, Father, may this ministry be used by Thee. Bless the Reverend Golliger as he undertakes uh, this radio work as well. We ask of Thee, uh, bless him. We remember the family at this time, and we pray for Thy hand to be upon Calvin. And may he know uh, Thy continued uh, hand, and may he know Thy healing. And, Father, lead and guide and comfort and strengthen, uh, we ask of Thee. Father, we remember our missionaries and our denomination. We think of the work there in Jamaica and in the Czech Republic and in Liberia. Bless there, we pray, uh, that as Thy truth is preached and as souls are uh, spoken to about their need of salvation, that Thou would build Thy church, that the gates of hell would not uh, prevail against it. Father, bless us here as we preach Thy Word. We pray for revival. We pray for that reviving of our hearts, for that reviving of our land. Uh, that souls would be won to Christ, this land would be changed for Thee, and we pray that Thou would glorify Thy name, keep us from sin, give us opportunities to serve Thee and glorify Thy name this week through our words and through our thoughts and through our actions. Uh, we pray uh, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Going to again in our the. Number three, uh, the hymn number three. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. The hymn number three, and we'll stand as we sing, please. We're turning this morning in the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, moving on today in our studies in 1 Timothy. And we come now to a section that deals with uh, the office of a bishop or uh, the office of an elder, the overseer, uh, the spiritual oversight of the church, and then uh, moving into the deacons as well. And so, there is much instruction here for those who hold those offices, and, of course, most, much instruction uh, for the church in general uh, regarding these offices and regarding uh, some principles of godliness as well. And so, we'll commence reading at verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, commencing to read at verse 1. <coughs> the Word of God says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, Faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good decree, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up. In to glory. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading this morning. And for his name's sake, amen. And we do welcome each one at the house of God today. Uh, to those who are watching online, we especially welcome you and trust the Lord's blessing uh, to be upon all uh, today. There have been a few changes here uh, since the last Lord's Day do thank uh, those in the congregation who have uh, given off their time uh, throughout this week uh, to help prepare the church building uh, for the installation of the new carpet that will take place uh, on the 22nd, Monday the 22nd of January, and continuing through that week. And so we thank you for your labors, those who uh, ripped up the carpet and the baseboards and uh, those who took the carpet away, moved furniture, uh, moved the boxes of new carpet that had uh, to be moved to get the old carpet up, and uh, the audio uh, sound desk, the video desk uh, was removed, all the equipment removed, and it was all put back uh, together as well. And so I think there were a few issues putting it back together in regard to uh, the audio, possibly. And so, we did send out an email uh, this morning uh, saying that there would maybe potentially be problems, but I think it's working okay, and we trust. I've got a thumbs up. It's working okay. And so, uh, we're glad uh, to hear uh, that. Do you remember the services uh, throughout the remainder of today. Uh, at 5.30 tonight, we have our prayer meeting at uh, 6 p.m., our evening worship, and then uh, tomorrow evening, we have our session and board meetings. And uh, to remember them, our elders and our deacons. Uh, the session will uh, commence at 6 p.m., God willing, and then the board, the deacons' meeting at 7 p.m. Uh, so do remember uh, those meetings, please. On Wednesday, there is the prayer meeting and Bible study at 7.30 p.m. in the prayer room and on Zoom. Uh, we had a good time of prayer last week. We thank all those who came and participated and attended on Zoom and then in person on the Wednesday as well. It's good to pray, and may we continue uh, to pray to the Lord throughout this year. On Saturday at 8 a.m., there is the men's prayer breakfast. And do remember that, folk, You're invited to come and to have fellowship with us as we consider uh, the Lord's Word. Pray together and have breakfast together. And also, there are a few things that need to be done in the church afterwards, and so there'll be uh, hopefully a small work programme, as maybe a few things to arrange uh, for the Sunday and for moving uh, pews. And I think the stairwells here at the bottom need to be stripped of carpet as well, uh, just the bottom. And so, there's a few things uh, need to be done. So do remember that after the men's uh, prayer breakfast on Saturday, Uh, the. Toronto Women's Bible Study will take place Tuesday the 30th of January at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, so do remember that, uh, ladies, and that will be on Zoom. Uh, We're also asking, and we have mentioned this before, but if there are any photographs, etc., our congregation celebrates its 40th anniversary this year. The bulletin says next year. It's this year. And so, if you've any photographs of special occasions, uh, then uh, do let me know. We can scan them in and get them back to you. I found some photographs in the office last night uh, of uh, events uh, long ago in the church, and I turned a page, and uh, there was my wife. And so, uh, there's a few photographs uh, of her uh, in uh, one of the photo albums, and uh, a few photographs of some young-looking people as well. And so, we'll maybe reflect on some of those photographs uh, later this year. And if you have any that are of interest, uh, do uh, let me know, especially off uh, special occasions. These are all the announcements, uh, the subject to the will of God. I'm going to turn on our hymnals, the hymn number 19. Hymn number 19 will remain seated whether ties to the Lord's work are received. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise. Hymn number 19, remaining seated, please. your heavenly god and father we delight to be in thy presence this morning as we could gather together we thank Thee, lord for your blessings to us we ask you take our tithes and our offerings that you would use them and bless them that the gospel message may go forth bless our pastor help him to preach and we ask that you would touch each heart this day as we desire to hear your word to take it in and we ask lord that you would bless your people We thank thee again, Lord, for all your blessings to us. And we ask this in Jesus'
1: name. Amen.
0: Let us stand for the third and final verse of hymn number 19, please. Be seated. We're going to turn again in the word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 3, First Timothy chapter 3. and as we come to the Word of God uh, this morning we do apologize if you may feel a little cold today. Uh, the heat uh, was on early this morning, uh, but during the adult Sunday school it was a little cooler. Uh, than we may have liked, and uh, there were no blankets for me to put on while I preached, uh, but it was just a little cooler, uh, so we hope that uh, this morning the service it is not too cool or too uncomfortable uh, for you, uh, but uh, do bear with us. Uh, there, there is no carpet here as well, and so uh, for next Sunday as well, we trust uh, that uh, we, the circumstances in which we meet Uh, might not distract us from worship, and certainly today uh, we trust uh, that the temperature is comfortable. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to draw your attention to verse 1. Coming in and introducing the subject of the elder uh, today, we read in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. If a man desireth desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Let us unite together in prayer and seek the Lord as we come to the preaching of His Word. Eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we thank Thee today for Thy Word. We thank Thee that we can consider it, and we can look at the importance of these matters, and Father, we realize that while many churches will differ in how they approach this passage, and we see that a difference across church history, uh, we realize we need to understand the truth. And though man has his different views, uh, there is still the truth of God which must be considered. And we pray today that Thou would instruct us in the truth and immerse us in the truth. Uh, that we would learn from it, uh, that our lives would be blessed. And as we consider this subject, uh, we realize that uh, many uh, may never be an elder, uh, but yet, Father, this is a subject we all need to take to heart and need to consider and pray for, for the good and the blessing of thy church. And so, I look to you today to bless us, to minister to our hearts, to apply thy word and the gospel as well, and glorify thy name we pray for Christ's sake, amen, <clears throat> amen. The leadership structure of the church of Jesus Christ is an issue that many, yet it is an issue that should not divide much as it does. The leadership structure of the church can be clearly seen in the Word of God. And as Presbyterians, that is what we believe, Uh, Scripture, and we see that the system of church government uh, that expresses Scripture uh, in the best sense is that system of Presbyterianism. But as man attempts to create his own structure and own terms and definitions of leadership, uh, we see many problems in the world today, and we see a setting aside of the structure of biblical leadership. We see it in Episcopalianism, Congregationalism, and we see it in the ordination of uh, female elders and pastors. We see it in individuals who raise themselves up to be pastors and elders without any authority or any recognition of any spiritual qualification within them. We see it as well within parachurch organizations. What is a parachurch organization? The word para uh, can mean out. And so uh, the word parachurch is an organization that is outside the church, it is not under the church. And there are many good organizations that we can define as parachurch organizations, organizations that we support, organizations that are well structured and do a good work and in support of the Church of Christ as well. We can think of the Trinitarian Bible Society and the work they do in publishing and distributing parachurch church organization. But yet, they do a great work, and we support that work. But there are other parachurch church organizations that operate outside of the church. They do the work of the church. They do evangelism they train pastors and they work with missionaries, that those things that are actually the work of the church itself, and often such parachurch workers and leaders do not meet the same standards as set forth by the church for their leadership. And often there is little spiritual accountability outside of themselves. But the apostle Paul here comes to the church he instructs Timothy, he says, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And then he indicates to him what that bishop or that or that overseer needs to be. The godly, spiritual characteristics that he must have. And he spends this third chapter instructing Timothy in the proper order of church leadership. And the work of oversight, or the work of the eldership, It is a good work. That is what Paul indicates in verse 1. He desireth a good work. And the word good in the Greek here is defined as follows. It can mean beautiful or handsome. Maybe not in regard to the context here. He desireth a handsome work. Uh, But we have an indication of what that word means beautiful, handsome. It's good, it's excellent, it's, it's approved, it's precious, it's praiseworthy, it's noble it's morally good, it's honorable, it confers honor, it's a work that affects the mind agreeably, comforting and confirming. And so those are various meanings of the particular word that is translated good here. And Paul is teaching Timothy that the work of an elder that the elder engages in is to be held in esteem for this work is a and noble work. The Greek for bishop here in verse 1 is the word episkopos. It's translated as bishop in the King James Version, and being a translation authorized by King James I of England, the head of the Anglican Church, it is translated as bishop. And, of course, the Episcopalian system, the Anglican system, is a system of the hierarchy of bishops. And so you have your vicars, you have your bishops— you have your archbishops, the your Archbishop of Canterbury, for example. And when we think of the Roman Catholic Church, they all system that includes uh, the role of bishop. But it is often translated as overseer, one who has spiritual oversight. It is synonymous with the other term uh, that is presbyteros, which is often translated as elder. And that particular Greek term, it's familiar. That's from— the term from which we get the word Presbyterian. And in Acts chapter 20, these terms are used interchangeably uh, with another term which also means pastor. And so the episcopos, the presbyterian, uh, the pastor are terms that refer to the same role of oversight within the church or to an elder who has the spiritual responsibility of the church of Christ. There is, however, a difference between the ruling elder and the teaching elder. Here we have two ruling elders, men who come and meet together and make the decisions to rule the church, as well as the pastor who is the teaching elder. From time to time, and maybe one of the ruling elders may help and teach or speak at a meeting, but their primary role is not to teach. It is to rule. And the an elder or the pastor, as we understand it, is the one to whom the burden of the preaching, teaching ministry falls to. There are elders who rule and elders who are given to the ministry of the Word. Another church office is that of Deacon, and the apostle deals with that a little later on in 1 Timothy 3. John Calvin makes the distinction between a bishop as seen by Rome and a bishop as understood by the elder or pastor. In the early church, uh, the various cities in which churches were found. Uh, those men who were pastors were often called the bishop of that particular church, one who had the oversight, one who was the pastor. And we should note that uh, the word bishop, this is what Calvin says, is not used to mean a horned beast in a mitre. And he's spoken a little fun at uh, the Roman Catholic system He's poking fun at the idea of a bishop and what he wears. It's not used to mean a horned beast in a mitre who stands apart like an idol, he says. But rather, it denotes one who is the pastor, the elder, the servant of God. And the purpose of the apostle's introduction to the eldership here is to that it is an honorable work. It is a work that has been blessed by God over the years, to the good of his church. And the role of overseer involves the and the pastoral care of God's flock. They look after the work of God on his behalf and according to his word. They look after the flock of God on his behalf and according to his word. And that is important. That is important. This is not a church that belongs to those who have the spiritual oversight. But rather, those who have the spiritual oversight look after the work of God and according to the Word of God. Therefore, it is not a church that belongs to the leadership that belongs ultimately to God, it is His work. And often, there are those that need to be reminded, and we need to be reminded constantly, it is not our work. It is the work of God. It is His flock who be bought with a price. It is His flock who have been redeemed. It is His flock that the elder has the oversight over. And therefore, it is not the work of one pastor or one elder who elders or whoever elders the work of God, and he has called and placed and appointed men to take that care of his flock. And that is a serious work. And it is a noble and good work, as the apostle points out here. David Dixon was a minister in the 1600s, and he wrote on the subject of eldership, and he said that our people in Scotland know well the necessity and usefulness of the office of the eldership. All over Scotland, there is a happy prejudice in favor of an elder's visit. No elder could ever say that they did not welcome his visits. The houses and the hearts of the people are ever open to those whom they have called to the office. And so, when we think of the work of the elder, it has been going on in Scotland under the banner of Presbyterianism, for hundreds and hundreds of years and was a blessing, blessing uh, to the church in that land. So I want us to consider this excellent work today, the noble work of eldership, the noble work of eldership. And firstly, I want you to notice a divinely instituted work, a divinely instituted work. The first reference to the role of an elder in Scripture is found during the ministry of Moses in Exodus chapter 18 the elder was appointed to teach and judge the children of Israel. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. There were elders who were set up to rule and govern the people of God. At the time of the early church, in Acts chapter 11, uh, there is mention here of those who were elders within the church. Uh, verse 30 of Acts 11, speaking of the Antioch, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Paul. So the church at Antioch sent uh, the aid to the church in Jerusalem, to the elders in Jerusalem, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so by the time of Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, the role of the elder within the New Testament church, the role of spiritual oversight was well established. And when the apostle finished his missionary journey, he revisited the churches with the aim of appointing elders for the spiritual oversight of the work. And the biblical pattern for eldership is a plurality of elders, not just one pastor or one elder having the oversight, but a plurality of men having the to this office. And the overseers of the church are, in reality, brethren and brothers in the ministry of God. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 has as its content the council at Jerusalem, and there was a disputation arose uh, in the church at Antioch. Uh, Verse 2, speaks about Paul's reaction to those who said that except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And it says there when, therefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. And then the matter was taken to the elders in Jerusalem and the apostles. And Paul and Barnabas, as those who were elders and servants of the Lord in Antioch, had an issue with false teaching. That is one of the roles of the elder to guard false teaching. And it says, disputation. they for the truth of God. I told uh, those in the adult Sunday school this morning about a dispute that arose during the Synod of Dort, and the Synod of Dort dealt with the subject of Arminianism uh, versus the doctrines of grace, or as we would know, Calvinism, and in regard to uh, the subject at that time in the early 1600s, and they dealt with the errors of Arminianism. And there was So much debate and one individual was so zealous for for what he believed uh, that he challenged another man he was angry with to a duel to the death over the differences in doctrine that they had. I'm not going to challenge anyone to a duel to the death this morning regarding any differences in doctrine, uh, but it is the role of the elder to protect the truth of God, to protect the truth. To guard the truth. And this is what was happening here in Acts 15. And in verse 4, we read And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all things that God had done with them. And so we see here there was a plurality, not only of the apostles, that office having ceased, but the elders, a plurality of elders who sat in this council, who governed the church through the work of this council. Verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for, to consider of this matter. The apostles did not use a hierarchy to discuss this themselves, but the elders and the apostles, they came together. And we have here a template of a Presbyterian government, the elders coming together, and they dealt with this issue. The issue was one that affected the sufficiency of the gospel of Christ. It had to be dealt with. And we find the local church didn't settle the matter. And we find that Paul as an apostle didn't settle the matter. And we find that God in his divine providence ordained this matter to be settled by the gathering together of elders. And therefore it gave the church a pattern of the divinely ordained method of the government of Christ's church. And in Scripture we see the institution of elders. We see the appointment of elders. We see Timothy being ordained by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And we find that this decision was made in Acts chapter fifteen, and that basically justification was by faith alone in Christ alone. That was sent out to the churches. This is what you're to preach and God bless that, those elders with the apostles had the authority under God to make that decision and to proclaim that truth and to instruct the churches, this is what you're to do. You're to preach this truth. You're to preach this truth. It is a divinely instituted work. It is not a work that has been dreamt up by man. It is not an office that man has invented to lift himself up over the individual. But it is an office we see as being divinely instituted in Scripture and we see as being an office within the New Testament church. And so we're to treasure that. We find the book of Acts as a pattern for the church today. And we're to follow that pattern and live according to that pattern. And that pattern includes the office of the elder for the government of Christ's church. And so, as the people of God, we're to treasure this office. We're to consider what Paul says about it, that it is a good work. It is a noble work because God has instituted it. What we see as well, secondly, it is a divinely appointed work. It is a divinely appointed work. In First Timothy 2, we see that women are biblically prevented from holding positions of spiritual authority within the church. And as we said at that time, all women are prevented from such office, but also some men, because not every man is qualified to be an overseer, and not every man is called to be an overseer. A man's gender does not fit him for spiritual office outside of anything else. And let me say this as well, regarding the qualifications we will come to consider next week. A godly man having the qualifications that we have here in First Timothy chapter 3. So we have a man, he's godly, he loves the Lord, he shows these qualifications That does not mean that God has called him to be an elder. These qualifications are basic principles, I believe, of Christianity. We should all aspire to these. And so does a man need to start doing these things when he becomes an elder? Does he then need to be careful about his character and be blameless when he gets elected as an elder? No, that should always be the case. Should a man then, whenever he is an elected an elder, make the decision, well, I have four wives. Three of them have to go because I'm to be the husband of one wife. No, that is a biblical principle that should already be in place. When we think of hospitality, well, one of the qualifications is being given to hospitality. So now I have to learn how to cook. Now I have to show care and hospitality to others within the church and others outside the church because I'm an elder. For 30, 40 years I didn't have to do that, but now I do. No, that should always be the case, showing hospitality to others. We can think of what it says here in verse 3, no striker. Not giving to striking, to bruising, to being quarrelsome, to being someone who has a temper and an anger and causing problems. And so that man isn't elected an elder. Does he then have to stop those things? Those things should have already been stopped. The church will have looked at the man and saw that he is these things by the grace of God and in God's will prayed over this man and considered this man and in God's will elected him to serve as an elder because they see these godly standards displayed within his life. And this is why I believe that these are biblical standards for all of us. But the point in question regards this work being divinely appointed. And the eldership is not open to every man. It is not open to every man. Certain men, certain men are qualified. Certain men are called of God. And so as we consider these characteristics in future weeks... These are things that apply to us all. Just because you may not be an elder or you may never be an elder does not mean that you can ignore what we have here. Every Christian should desire to rule his own house well. Every, desire should be, every Christian should desire to be patient, not a brawler, not covetous. And of course, when we think of not being covetous, that comes right out of the Ten Commandments. We don't set that commandment aside. Thou shalt not covet just because we're not an elder. Something that applies to us all. An elder should not do these things and should be blameless. But these are standards for basic godliness. We can think of what the apostle says in 2 Corinthians. Who is sufficient for these things? And when we think of the work of the ministry, the preaching work, the work of the elder ruling within the church of Christ. Who is sufficient for these things? And our sufficiency comes from God. I'm standing here today because my sufficiency is not of me. It is of God. It comes from God. And there are those who are elders within the church of Christ and they would testify the same thing. They are an elder not because... They're sufficient for these things. They're an elder not because they thought they would be the best at being an elder, but because God has called and the congregation have met and prayed and considered and voted and the sufficiency ultimately comes from God himself to help in the leadership of his church. And we see from the usage of language in the New Testament that there is no difference in rank among the elders of the church and therefore those Forms of church government that have that hierarchy, the bishop, the archbishop, the cardinal, are not found in Scripture. There's a difference in the role between ruling and teaching elders. There may be a difference in age and maturity, but there is the same position and authority. We can think of our congregation and our elders and the pastor. And if two elders support a particular motion... Just because the pastor is the pastor doesn't mean he can cancel it or say this isn't happening. He does not have the power of veto because he has the same position and the same vote and the same authority. If the younger men supported a motion and the older decided, I don't agree with this. Well, there's no power of veto because there's the same Position and authority. No power of veto just because there's more maturity or experience in life. There's an equality. And that's what the word of God teaches when we come to Acts 15. The apostles were there as elders. The elders were there as elders. There was an equality in power and authority. The pastor is not superior to the ruling elder. And the ruling elder is not superior to the pastor. They are divinely appointed by the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the verse 1, it says, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And I want to draw your attention to this word desire. Of course, as we saw in chapter 2, uh, the role is reserved for men, and this is a good work, so it is good for men to desire this work. It is good for good men to desire this work. It is a good work that needs good men. We're not talking here about a desire that leads to canvassing for this role or trying to influence people to support and vote for you the same way that politicians would. And we're not talking about the pastor influencing members to vote for certain people. These things are wrong, and we do not do this. But in a vote, the legal names are presented to the congregation. Who in much prayer and seeking the guidance of the Lord make their decision. So men do not desire this office in the way that Donald Trump desires to be president of the United States again. Or Joe Biden desires to win the election again. So what does this term desire imply to us? It means to reach out. For something, to stretch out for something, godly men or to reach out for the office of elder. They should strive for it, not by seeking an election, but by godliness, and of course acknowledging that uh, this is a good work that requires good men, and a good work that God appoints men to. And therefore, there should be a godly desire to serve the Lord in this capacity. And the godly nature of the elder should be that godly nature that we find in every true believer. Man does not become an elder of his own desire. That is not what the verse is teaching. It is the decision of the church under the authority of God. William Perkins said, how can you know for yourself whether God wants you to go into the ministry or not? You must ask yourself Both your own conscience and the church. Your conscience must judge of the willingness and the church of your ability. So it should not be blind ambition. Paul spoke to Timothy about the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And there's an implication here of a group of elders from several churches. They recognized Timothy's faith. They recognized his ability. They recognized his call to the ministry. And today in Presbyterianism, the members of a church vote for the elders or pastor. They cannot just elect anyone. There are certain standards, especially for pastors with training and licensing. And so for a pastor, there's a limited number of men available. And when we think on that, there's a need to pray for men of God to be called by God to pastor our churches here in North America we look at all of our men that are available, men who do not have pulpits, men who are available for a church to call them, licensed to preach, we have three vacancies and I believe we have zero men. We have men in pulpits, we have men training, but we don't have men who were licensed and able to receive a call under our presbytery. And so there's a need to pray. There's a limited number of men, but we especially feel that at this point in time. And the presbytery has the final say, whether it's an elder or a pastor, is this man suitably qualified? If yes is the answer, then that man will be ordained and installed as an elder or pastor and assume the responsibilities of that role. The congregation seek the will of God. The presbytery verify all is done as it ought to be done in good order and according to the standards of Scripture. Jeremiah 1 and Isaiah 6, when we think of those prophets, they did not call themselves. Jeremiah did not say, well, I spoke to myself and I called myself. The Lord dealt with him. The Lord put his words in his mouth. The Lord lifted him up. John Calvin said, It is no light matter to represent God's Son in such a great task as erecting and extending God's kingdom, incurring for the salvation of souls whom the Lord Himself has designed to purchase with His own blood and in ruling the church, which is God's inheritance. It's not a light matter. It's serious business, and men are not to trust in themselves. God calls. God calls. And so there is a warning. To churches, and a warning to denominations to take this office seriously, to treat it with care and discernment that ought to be found within the church of Christ. When we think of churches today, why do denominations and churches turn to liberalism? Why do we find modern aspects of charismatic worship brought into churches? Why have churches forsaken Christ and his doctrine? because they did not take care who they allowed into leadership. And in turn, those individuals did not care how they acted or what they taught in the church of Christ. And if a majority of elders within a church are liberal-minded, then what do we have? Decisions and vision that is more in line with the liberal ideas of the world and the scriptural ideas of God. And what a warning it is to guard the flock by guarding the office of the elder and guarding the office of those who have oversight. It is a serious work. And we must not desire this work out of self-interest or vanity. We're not to be tainted by ambition. There is to be humility. 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 Calvin said they must not lightly presume on their own strength or think that they can do wonders. Let them put away such arrogance. Confess their, confess their frailty and grit their teeth. Fearful of such a heavy responsibility. Let their wish to serve be grounded solely in the confidence that God will guide them and will, if they are weak, provide for them. And so what we're saying here, and what Paul is saying is that There is this good work. And if a man desires this office, he desireth a good work. But this desire is not ambition or selfish ambition. It's a humble serving of the Lord, a humble desire to live godly lives. There are many men who've been elected elders and have been surprised and humbled by the congregation's faith in them. And that should be something that is marked by every elder. Humility that there are those who believe that they are suited for that task because they've prayed and they've sought the Lord and they've been directed to say, well, I believe this man will make a good leader within the church of Christ. It's humility. It humbles. It humbles. The reaction should not be, oh, I've got the vote and I've won the election and now I can have authority and... Position and power within Christ's church. There should be humility because it's the Lord who has appointed it. It is the church who've been moved by God to vote in that way, to elect in that way. It is all of God and should be all of God. It humbles us. It humbles us. That sinners, like us, sinners saved by grace, could be used by God to lead and serve within his church. It's a work of humility. And it ought to be remembered. It ought to be remembered. And so, dear congregation, the Lord has appointed men to rule over this flock. How are they to rule? Turn with me to Acts 20. And we've turned to this passage many times. I love this passage. It speaks of love because of Christ. It speaks of the feeding of the flock Because of Christ. It speaks of good godly leadership because of Christ. And this is how the elder and the pastor and the overseer is to lead and govern with much love because Christ has appointed them to this office. And we see in verse 28 especially, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, appointed by God to this office to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. There's the love right there, the implication of love. Christ loved his people. Christ redeemed his people. Christ made his people part of the church. The Holy Ghost then raised up overseers to feed that church and to care for that church and to love that church because Christ loved his church. Dear congregation, there's to be love between the elders and between the the congregation. This is the good work. Dear congregation, how are you to respond then to the overseers? There's to be love. There's to be prayer. Paul said <coughs> to the Thessalonians, Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Why? Because it is a divinely instituted work, it's a divinely appointed work. We're serving the Lord. And all the difficulties and all the trials that come our way because of that. And so there is a need to love the elder and to pray for the elder. That there would be humility. That there would be a putting first of Christ. That they would engage with their whole heart in this good work. And they would keep their eyes upon the Savior. Thirdly and finally and quickly, it is a divinely important work. Divinely important work. In Titus chapter 1, the verse 5, there was a need for elders. Paul says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. There was a need for this work. There was a need for elders to rule within the church of Christ because there was important work to be done. It was to be ordered. It was to be ordered. Acts 20 reminds us of that again. Verse 28 the need for souls to be taught, the need for teaching, for instruction, for order, for discipline, for the governing of Christ's church, for making the church competent in how the work is carried out, for praying, for the work of God, for leadership, for encouragement, for the protection of the flock. All these things, every aspect of the church of Christ in its work come under the oversight of the elders. And there's a need for prayer. There's a need for prayer. Our denomination in its book of order speaks about the elders and to them belong the spiritual oversight of the church. They are called to keep diligent watch over the flock committed to their care so that no corruption of doctrine Or morals be suffered to infect it. They must exercise government and discipline. And take the oversight of the spiritual interest. Not only of the local church. But of the church generally. The denomination is implied there. When called upon to do so. Elders should instruct and comfort God's people. Nourish the children and youth under their care. And it goes on. Setting an example. Visiting. Evangelizing. Seeking to make Disciples, it's a great work. It's a divinely important work. And the mission of the church is to evangelize. The mission of the church is to take that care for one another. It's a work that we need to pray for. We need to pray for. And we're not to be reluctant to do this work. This is what Paul is implying. There's not to be a reluctance here. God calls you to this work, there's not to be a reluctance because it is important work. I think there's a difference between realizing we are sufficient and that we are insufficient and resting upon God and being insufficient and believing that nothing can change that. When I think of the early days of being called into the ministry, the word insufficient was written in big letters. I can't do this. I can't study for this. I can't do this. And I thought, how can a pastor preach every week? How can sermons, fresh sermons, be prepared every week? And when I was 18, 19 years of age and had an opportunity to preach, there was so much to do. And I thought, how can can men preach for 40 years every single week or several times a week? What do you preach? And now it's almost what not to preach because there's so much to preach. But I thought, insufficient. But yet, God is the sufficiency. God is the sufficiency. And there's an application here to all of us. Calvin said, there's a common message for all Christians, each in his own place and occupation. And the message is this, that wherever God may call us, we should be ready and willing to serve him. Otherwise, he will accept nothing from us. Again, we must all look within, he said, conscious of our faculties and must pray that God graciously accepts us and remedies all the faults he sees in us. And so, we're not to be reluctant for the work of an elder if God calls us to that work. That's what is meant by desiring it. Living a godly life in light of these qualifications. But he says there's a common message for us all that where God has placed us and the work that God has given us, let us not be reluctant to do it. Let us not be reluctant to do it. Let us be ready and willing. God is our sufficiency. And the work of the eldership is a difficult and challenging work, but it is a rewarding work. It is a good work. And so, dear congregation, as we close today, pray for your elders. Pray for your session. Pray for your pastor as they pray for you and seek to have the oversight over you and encourage you, teach you and feed you the Word of God. Love them as they love you. Let there be that mutual love, that mutual bond in Christ. I remember going to meet the examination board of our Presby in Ulster. i come to the end of my college training few exams left and to get out of college and get licensed I had to meet this board of men and they asked many questions difficult questions about my views and opinions on certain doctrines they asked how I would react and deal with certain situations and I got out of my car and as I was walking into the college I was shaking what could they ask Maybe I did something 2 or 3 years ago in college that I didn't realize was a mistake and maybe they're going to mention that to me and I don't know what to say and I was really nervous about the whole thing and meeting these men and these elders and ministers as I walked in one of the men came alongside me he walked in too I could take you to the exact place he said it and he said don't worry about tonight And I felt like laughing. That's easy for you to say. He says, We're here to encourage you. And I thought, Why is he saying this? How are they here to encourage me? I'm shaking with fear over what I might be asked. I was going to be grilled and asked so many questions. And he's saying they're there to encourage me. Well, I had my interview. I left. I had no idea what the result of that interview was. It wasn't a train wreck, I felt. I felt it went okay, but I was still very nervous about it. But I went out and I thought, you know what? He was right. I came away encouraged. Encouraged and blessed. I wasn't sure what they would say about me or what recommendation they would give, but I came out encouraged. Encouraged to go on in the Lord's work. Encouraged by what perhaps lay ahead when we think of the oversight and the spiritual oversight of the work of God, the elder is not one who rules with authority like a dictator. The elder is one to encourage in the work of God. Yes, there needs to be authority. Yes, there may need to be discipline. but There's to be love and encouragement. Let us all experience that. Uh, Because I felt very touched that night coming out and thinking he was right. I was encouraged. It wasn't an easy interview. It didn't make the interview easy. But coming out, I felt encouraged. Dear believer, in all the interactions we have as the Lord's people, as his elders, as his congregation, let us encourage one another. Let us be encouraged as we work together for the service of the Lord. May the Lord bless his word this morning for his name's sake. Amen. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy goodness and grace toward us. We thank thee as we think upon this noble work. It is a good work. It is a work that has thy blessing upon it. It is a work instituted by thee. And, O God, we pray that thou would be pleased to Bless us. Bless us as a congregation. Bless our oversight. Bless the oversight of all of our churches. And Father, bless us all as congregations that the elders that thou was given to the church of Christ and the individuals that thou was given to the church of Christ, that we would all be a blessing and an encouragement as we seek to strive together for thee. Father, bless us, do us good, part us with thy blessing. May the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.